So, studying Srimad Bhagavatam, we began last week our studies with the first verse of Srimad Bhagavatam, first verse of the first canto, the first verse of the three introductory slokas constituting the Mangalacharan. And we discussed that verse from many different angles how Chaitanya Mahaprabhu praised the Bhagavatam in so many ways, how he thought of it. We discussed how it's his natural commentary on Vedanta Sutra, how it's a commentary on Gayatri Mantra. We discussed the general meaning as it's cited three times in Chaitanya Charitamrita, once by Ramananda Roy, twice by Mahaprabhu, once to, to by Mahaprabhu to Sanatana Goswami, once by Mahaprabhu to Prakashananda Saraswati. And then some special meanings from that verse drawn primarily by Shijiva Goswami, Paramatma Sandarbha, two different places in Krishna Sandarbha. We ended with one discussion of the verse in which it's understood to be an explanation of Krishna's pastimes, which of course was what Srimad Bhagavatam is all about, so there must be some mention of that in the beginning of the book, usually in the introduction, then you say what the book's about. So we very carefully analyzed, it was very clear, abundantly clear, how the first verse speaks about the wonderful glories of, of Krishna. And in the context of that explanation, we came to Tene Brahmarudayadikavaye. So when it was explained that Janmadhyasya Taha Anbayadi Tarata how Krishna is um, is born and not born, how he's born from Devaki and not born from Devaki, and born from Yashoda and not born from Yashoda, Itarata, Anbayad, Itarata, and uh, how he is uh, uh, the original person, and, and uh, although he appears to be in difficulty due to Kamsa, he's actually a big na, fully cognizant, and he had a greater plan in mind, going to Vrindavan to be with his eternal associates, where although he is Swarat, fully independent, he appears to be completely under their control. Now this is not a contradiction. The Lord is fully independent, yet fully under the control of his devotees. How is it not a contradiction? How can you be independent and controlled by somebody? And to love his devotees is just Shakti. No. He does love his devotees and it doesn't involve the Sukh Shakti. Krishna? Is it that the devotees are his Shakti? Yeah, that's true too. So in that way he's, he's independent and the devotees are Shakti. That's one answer. But... Uh, but the answer that I gave was that no. We, another thing is that 
He's independent, but he likes to be controlled by his devotees. So he can do what he wants. This is what he likes to do, to be controlled by them. And so he goes to Vrindavan, and there he performs wonderful pastimes, like Tene Brahma, like the enlightening of Brahma, which took place during the bewilderment of Brahma, Brahma Vimohan Lila. This constitutes really three chapters of Srimad Bhagavatam, 12, 13, and 14 of the 10th canto. And it's significant that Sri Jiva Goswami should point out this Lila. Of course, it, it fits well with the, with the text, Tene Brahma Hrida but let us say it is significant that Brahma, that Vyas would put it there, hmm? that Lila, mention of that type of Lila that Krishna's absorbed in a Vindavan, because in that Lila, Krishna, who is appears to be bewildered and think himself the son of Yashoda and a, a coward boy, he's actually the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And in Vrindavan, there's more Aishwarya than anywhere, more than Dwarka and Mathura combined. And this Lila gives an example of that, such extraordinary Aishwarya. And, of course, through this Lila, then it's established in the in the context of the Lila as it is in in the, uh, the direct uh, uh, philosophical kind of discourse of Bhagavatam, the Tattva of Bhagavatam, that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of God. And so it's very fitting that Vyas would indicate this, this is a sample of one of the Leelas. This is, again, in terms of Tattva, what the whole book is about, that Krishna is to Bhagavan Swayam. So it very much comes out here, in fact, in this 14th chapter, which is after Agasur has been killed, after the picnic, Agasur has been killed, Brahma has come, Krishna has, he's, he wanted to steal the, the boys and the calves, he couldn't do that, but Yogamaya allowed it to happen by her own arrangement for the pleasure of the Lord. The Lord expanded himself into all the calves and coward boys for one year. Balaram figured it out when he saw the affection, extraordinary affection of the mothers for their sons and the cows for their calves, particularly, you know, the calves had already been weaned and so forth. Mothers were mad after them, the cows. So, seeing these things, he understood something about it. He wasn't present because it was his birthday during that Leela. So, after all this, and now then uh, Brahma sees all this extraordinary opulence. He sees Krishna expanding, not universes, but Vishnu's from himself, who are the source of universes. I mean, this four-headed Brahma, his heads were spinning. He had never seen anything like this. Very extraordinary. So, it's all over now. All those expansions and that wonderful display of opulence is all, just as suddenly as it all came out, all come back within Krishna. And all of Vrindavan is still quiet, and Brahma is standing there feeling very much out of place. Where am I? What have I done? He came there thinking, who is this coward that there's so much commotion about? And there he was, you know, he was appearing very unsophisticated. Brahma's a very sophisticated fellow. Vidhi, he's called. He's like the personification of all types of proper behavior. 
And seeing this boy, he was uh, wondering, who, who, what's all the commotion? And this is all it is about this, this cowherd? He didn't recognize him at the time, that he was the uh, very same Narayana, as you'll point out in these chapters, a very important verse in this chapter, maybe the, uh, later on. It's quoted in Chaitanya Charitamrita, in the second chapter of Chaitanya Charitamrita, which is all about what... Have you studied that? It's that Krishna is the Supreme Personality. Right, right. So again, it comes out in this Lila. So after all of this, uh, now Brahma, he bows his heads and he he tries to say something to make up for the disturbance that he created and to and to try to understand who it is before he gets some realization. So some beautiful prayers, very famous, so many famous verses in this this chapter. So let us go through it. It's a chapter, this chapter and the previous two, that are very important to us, as I mentioned. And interestingly enough, they're not as important as some other Vaishnava Sampradayas, like the Madhva Sampradaya, who isn't, didn't comment on this at all. In fact, and the later Acharyas after Madhya have reasoned that this was these chapters were made up afterwards, interpolated. Peter Marsh took it in this way that they couldn't tolerate the idea that the guru could not be omniscient or all-knowing in a metaphysical sense and that he could become bewildered and so forth. But Sridhar Marsh liked to say that within Mahaprabhu's conception of divinity then is possible. Bewildered by Yoga Maya for the sake of something like this which he called hide-and-seek. Krishna decided to play hide-and-seek with Brahma. So he hid himself from Brahma so that Brahma couldn't understand him, who he was. And then Brahma had to find him. uh, After all, Prabhupada liked to to think that Brahma was was in a sakirasa, so it's appropriate. (laughs) Hide-and-seek pastimes. Oh, you've come to Vrindavan where I play such... Childhood sports, let me play with you. This is who you really are. And you think you're Vidhi Brahma. You have another identity. So, Brahma Vimohan, not Mohan, but Vimohan, very bewildered. He says, Sri Brahma Vacha, no midyate bra vapushe tadirambaraya. He says, nom, nom, nom idya, nom idya te. I offer my obeisances, I offer my respect to to Idya, to to most respectable personality, Te. And Shiraswami has said that uh, this is there is Brahma speaking and addressing Krishna uh, as the object here of his uh, affection and attention. And Sanatana Goswami has said, with a desire to have his association, indicated by the word te. And no media. Idya means uh, respectable personality, worshipable one. And Vishwanath Chakuti Thakur, Sanatana Goswami Prabhu, Sridhar Swami also. Incidentally, Sridhar Swami did accept these chapters from Bhagavatam an ancient commentator, and Mahaprabhu, of course, 
embrace the conception of Sridhar Swami, and Sridhar Swami's Sampradaya is also Ragmarg Sampradaya. So he says, when all of them say, that this idya here it indicates that uh, I offer obeisances to you, you alone are worthy of all respect. In other words, you are the supreme personality of God, and he's saying it here. So I've just seen something that's very extraordinary, and it's come from you, and I can understand. Narayan comes from you, the Vishnu's come from you, the world's come from you, everything that comes from you. Maham Sarvasya, as you said in the Gita, Aham Sarvasya Prabhu today. And Krishna might say, Sanatana Prabhu has said, oh, but how is it that you are saying that you want my association, that you're offering prayers with a view to to have my, my association? I mean, you already know Brahman and Paramatma. And so Brahma says, Abhruvapushe, that, uh, no, I want your association who appears like a dark, in the form, form of like a dark, with a, like, a, like a dark cloud, like a rain cloud, like a water-bearing cloud, not some uh, formless idea of the Absolute, not uh, some partial manifestation of the Absolute, the whole thing. You, who appeared like a rain cloud, it means also water-bearing cloud, rain cloud, means like with the full capacity to extinguish the fire of material existence completely. Like I've said before, here in California, we often have forest fires, and every fireman knows how to pray. This is ultimate recourse. Step back and pray. So, Krishna, Ganesham, yeah, here he's described, like a, like a dark rain cloud. And nomidyate brabapuse tadidambodaya, and dressed with the with a yellow garment that's like lightning. So here we have the dark rain cloud contrasted by the by the lightning. Shiramarsh like to say this the special meaning of this verse is that Krishna is appearing here like a dark rain cloud. Brahma's in ignorance. Krishna is appearing like dark also, covering himself, in other words, that's the idea. He's in a form that Brahma can't recognize. Thought he's just a village person, a coward boy, why is so much commotion about him, and so forth. And after all of the killing of Agasur, the demigods were praising and so forth, and showering flowers on him. And so many things mentioned in this verse about him that make it seem as though he's he's ordinary. But this word, tadit ambaraya, his yellow dress, lightning-like dress, indicates the shakti of the Lord that, that makes him known. So Krishna is dark and Radha's golden, fair in complexion. And like lightning, if it shines at night, then the dark clouds can be seen for a moment. Very beautiful. So she's lighting up the darkness of the world and, and those in ignorance and making it clear to the world who is Krishna. And I might add to what Pujapad Sridhar said, so much so, 
in the form of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Krishna's come in a hidden way there, and with like, has a effulgence like lightning. And this is the, the influence of Radha, Radha's Bhava, in demonstrating to the world what is the glorious position of Krishna. And, and conversely, of course, what happens is what is the glorious position of Radha comes out as well. So the point here, anyway, in a general sense, the Shakti, the Shakti of the Lord reveals who he is. I've often said if you know someone's energy, then you know them very well. So should should Krishna reply, well, you say dark form like a, like a rain cloud and and golden garments like like lightning. That sounds like Narayan. So you think I'm Narayan? Is that what you're saying? How can that be? And so Brahma goes on. He says, Gunja Vatangsha Padipicha. Narayan is not decorated with Narayan is decorated with valuable jewels, lapis lazuli and diamonds and so many flashy. He's a very flashy dresser. And you are different. This is the difference. You're decorated with gunja beads, little little what are they? Little seeds or something that grow in Vrindavan. Like we have here on the Giri Raj, red and white and black. He's decorated with these, like earrings and or- ornamenting himself with, with these type of thing, natural things from the uh, from the Vrindavan forest. And what is his crown? Bodhipicha. Mm-hmm. His crown is only peacock feather. That's all. Peacock feathers. Lasan Mukaya. And in this way, oh, it's very... Beautiful, his face shines very beautifully. And Vanya Srajay, what is this garland? It's not Parijata flowers and all these extraordinary kinds of flowers that grow in Bhakunta. No, but for, like, just like if you were to go out here and collect wildflowers that just grow like weeds, wildflowers, and pick them and make a garland. They're nice, but. It's not like cultivated roses or gardenias or something special like that. This is the kind of garland that he wears. And Kabula, Kabula. And in his hand, in his left hand, he's holding a lump of food. I don't think Narayan eats with his left hand, but Krishna's yogurt and rice and fruit holding in his left hand. And he's got other things. He's got Betra, Vishana Venu. He's got a stick. And he's got a buffalo horn underneath his left arm like this. And in his belt, he's got a flute. This is a little bamboo flute. It's also not a very sophisticated instrument. It's like something you kind of you put together, get a reed of bamboo, put some hole in it. Make it make a little sound like that. And what a sound. Of course, he can make with that <laughs> what he can make out of nothing. Hmm? It also means there's so much in things that appear to be so insignificant that we really look carefully and pay attention. Just like our devotional life when we were talking um, earlier today, this morning, how the world keeps us very busy and and uh, makes people think that... Um, that um, 
through modern technology and so forth. There's so many important things to do. The little things like cooking, taking the time to do daily chores are just a waste of time. If I just could get a machine to do that or a button to press and that go and I could get on to more important things to push forward and do more and so forth. As they say in Zen, less is more. So uh, here we have the chance to do simple things like cook for the deity. And it's not a lesser thing, it's a big thing. Pick flowers, grow grow vegetables for the deity, take care of cows and so forth and so on. All these daily activities all centered on the deity. Each one very important. So Krishna like this, dressed in this way, ornamented in this way, with this kind of paraphernalia, flute, a stick, a buffalo horn. Lakshmushriye Mrupade. And he's characterized by such charming beauty, Krishna. Uh, his mrupade, his feet are very soft and tender. He's only a kumar at this time. He's not even five years old. How tender his little feet are. Little tiny feet. Brahma's referring him to like to him like this, mrupade, you've got small feet. It's a way of saying indirectly, and you're so young, but he doesn't want to say that you're, and you're so young. And, uh, it's uh, Brahma so old, and 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 he's not really young. He's he's Adi Purusha. He's the original person, <laughs> as Brahma sings in Brahma Samhita. Go in the Adi You're the origin of everything. Hmm? I don't want to say you're just so many years old. That wouldn't be accurate. But I want to indicate that you're charming, like a young lad, as you're appearing before me by saying you have the tender little little feet. And Pashupangajaya, Pashupa. Pashu means animal. Pashupa means who protects animals, protects the cows. Angajaya. So you come from Pashupa. It means Nanda Maharaj, the chief of the protector of the cows. You're the son of Nanda Maharaj. This is who you are. Yeah, you're Narayan, but you're not Narayan. You're more than Narayan. And so in this way, Brahma simply describes what he sees before himself. And what he wants to say is that what I'm seeing, you, beautifully decorated in this simple way, that this is more, in this form, you are the original personality of God. This is real opulence, this sweetness. This is as, as, as good as it gets. And all these other forms that manifest from you, as fascinating as they are and so forth, uh, you're the source, and you're more charming, more high, more... It's as contradictory as, as it appears. Appearing very low and simple, the fact of the matter, this is the best way, sweetest way, the most wonderful uh, appearance that you have amongst all your innumerable appearances throughout innumerable universes and so many avatars, so many expansions. In this way, in a spirit of uh, friendship mixed with servitude. Brahma's offered his first prayer. So, any question? So, even though so like Krishna chooses to be simple, like he chooses to be controlled by his devotees, he chooses instead of like... I think that you have to understand that, that, that being simple is is kind of where it's at. 
this is the idea. Like they say, small is beautiful, it's better. I mean, even the, there are maybe examples of this, where someone is in a very big position, always on on the, in the spotlight. There are so many examples. You have your sports stars, or you have your movie stars, or political people and so forth, and they're always, they're public figures, so the paparazzi is always after them, you know, they take their photograph and and so on and so forth. So they like to put on ordinary clothes and sunglasses and hide and just be, just be themselves, something like that. And that's, they, after going through so much to become so great, they find out it's not so great after all, to be in the public eye like this, constantly everybody watching my every move, and I've got to be careful, do the wrong thing, my career could be ruined, they take a picture of me over here, over there, I slip with this word, and they make something out of it more than what I meant, and and so forth. It's very distressful. Let me, whatever quality time I can get to have just with my family, or just to get away and hide, put down all the opulence and so be an ordinary, if I could only be an ordinary person again, something like that. Of course, they like the money, but, you know, <laughs> but still, this is, this is a, we have experience of this in, in, in humanity, so it comes from divinity. This is the idea. And of course, this is, is a situation, a position in which and Bhagavan can have intimate relations with his devotees and get closer to them than, than otherwise. It's not possible to get that close in Vaikuntha. There are people living in Vaikuntha who never hardly ever see the Lord. They just live there and meditate upon him. Some see him occasionally. Of course, some have the, uh, per, are his personal attendants and so forth. But look what happens in Vrindavan. It's, it's very extraordinary. So for a person like Brahma, who comes to sources, Narayan, and so forth, to see the activities of Krishna, I mean, he did see Krishna at the dawn of creation. When Krishna appeared in his heart, and outward, outside, he gave him the mantra in a flash, in his gopavesh, and so forth. But then to see him actually performing these pastimes, Brahma's, Brahma's confused. They're vastly different from Vaikuntha, and vastly... Um, so we can say, you know, transcendentally better. Krishna means like God when he wants to be himself. And there such opportunity arises for intimate association, the likes of which, as I say, is not possible in Vaikuntha. So that is, if anybody should think that's the best, we should think that's the best. We have no reason to think otherwise. That's the best for us, Right? If you if you're interested in becoming close to God, then well, here's your opportunity. It's significant here in Bhagavatam. Brahma is seeing all these things. And he's a learned person, well thought out. Study the Vedas three times over after writing them or manifesting them. He's saying he, this is the conclusion he's coming to. Sorting through all of that, it comes comes to this. Krishna standing with a peacock feather and a flute in his belt, meeting with his left hand. All right, so we'll continue tomorrow evening, and then tomorrow's the disappearance of So we'll continue our discussion of chapter 14, Lord Brahma's prayers. 
Lord Krishna. This evening we will discuss briefly text two, but I should preface this discussion with some mention of how these prayers also appeared in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Leela. It hasn't been brought to light yet, and here we are in the midst of discussing them. It's mentioned in Chaitanya Bhagavat how Shiva's Thakur was holding Sankirtan at his house and was causing a disturbance to the pious or impious Hindus who <laughs> th- thought he was keeping them up late at night and had concocted some kind of new religion <clears throat> where the name of Krishna would be given out. Common people would hear it and would lose its power. So they were complaining and they complained to the government, which was a Muslim government, they tolerated the Hindus. But when the Hindus couldn't tolerate their own kind, then how much tolerance do you think that the Muslim leaders would have for those kind of Hindus? And so trouble began, and warnings were sent out and so forth. And, and uh, it, some of the devotees, by the influence of the Lord's pastimes, felt some fear and anxiety by the influence of yoga maya. And so it caused them to uh, become more attached to the Lord, dependent upon Him, and so forth and so on. Meanwhile, in their midst, Nimai Pandit had become a Vaishnava and was encouraging them. And uh, so it's mentioned there that he was walking along the banks of the Gandhis, who were carefree and happy-go-lucky and... and the rest of the neighborhood was a little, some of them surprised he doesn't seem to be afraid. and They're not stopping these activities. And the warning's been given and, and so forth. And others thought he was just making a pretense and finding a way to, to escape and, or, or something like that. And uh, would soon be leaving town. But... Um, that's not what happened, of course. And, uh, and to encourage the devotees in this instance, and in the midst of his ecstasy, what happened, he was walking along the bank of the Gandhis, he saw some cows come down to the water, some of them drank water, some calves were leaping in the air, kicking their back legs up and with their tails up high and so forth. And he swooned in ecstasy and he said, I am him, I am him. And he ran to the house of Srivas, and Srivas was doing puja in his house. The, the house deity of Srivastava was the Lord Nishingadev. Um, he was doing his puja and you don't want to disturb Lord Nishingadev in the midst of his puja. And Mahabharata was banging on the door, open up, who you are worshiping. I'm doing worship. Who you are worshiping has come to the door, it is me. Like this, pounding on the door. And he showed himself in a extraordinary way to be the same as the deity that he was worshipping and then he told offer prayers offer prayers at that time she was being a learned pundit as he was he knew these prayers of Bhagavatam so he began to recite them glorifying Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as that self same Krishna who is the supreme personality of Godhead and in this way he gave encouragement after the prayers were over Mahaprabhu gave encouragement you don't have to worry about anything he said 
go on with the Sankirtan. Nothing can happen to you. So, famous prayer, prayers, important prayers, full of Gaudiya Siddhanta. And they were offered by Brahma in a mood of reverence, bordering on uh, friendship. After all, he's just the extraordinary opulence of the Lord, overwhelming opulence. And so, in the first prayer, we heard that all he did was say, I offer my obeisances to you who are filled with the, uh, of the complexion of a rainy cloud, dressed with uh, golden yellow garments like, like lightning, decorated with gunja berries, and uh, bearing a stick and a flute, and uh, a buffalo horn, and holding a morsel of food in your, in your left hand with your delicate feet and so forth. And we discussed how the Lord in, in, in this form is more charming and, and uh, although unassuming in appearance, is actually the most powerful supreme personality of Godhead. But after offering these, uh, these beautiful prayers, in one sense, Brahma th- thought, and he's thinking a lot, you know, he's got the foreheads and he's... He's just made an offense to Krishna, whom he considers him now. He's seen who Krishna is, and so he's trying to like cover all of his bases and really do justice to, to the opportunity to, to glorify the Lord that's come before him. Now, he did see the Lord at the dawn of creation. We know that, and it's mentioned in Gopal Tapati that he was in Gopalesh. But this manifestation of the Lord was still a little different. He saw him like, like Krishna in Goloka, and now he's Krishna in, in, in Gokul and well now Vrindavan. They've crossed Madhistan, he's crossed the river and living in Vrindavan. This is his Naralila. And it's very difficult to understand. Very, very uh, I mean he really looks just like a village. Boy, beautiful and charming, but there's no reason to think that he's that he's God. Hmm? Blends in so well with the cowherds community and and so forth. So, Vyantiyatsuraya, even the gods have a difficult time understanding who he is. So we see that happen to Brahma here, even though he glimpsed him, Narayan came before him, then looking for his source, Narayan came, then Krishna appeared in his heart, and before him explained a little bit about the mantra, blessed him so forth. But now he's seeing all these ordinary pastimes of Krishna and so forth. As a, like He came in on his swan carrier in a big way. What's the commotion about him? And there he is, putting food in somebody's one friend's mouth and then taking food from that mouth and putting it in his own mouth. I imagine the Lord has put food in your mouth and then taking it out and said, I want the back of taste that. These are very uh, unsophisticated uh, kind of activities. Like almost like Aboriginal, you know, kind of people, jungle people, cow, cowherd people, They're living on the outskirts of the of the village, kind of nomadic tribe in in a, in a sense. So very difficult for him to understand. Now he's offered these prayers, just speaking, basically just saying what he sees. I offer my obeisance to you who are who look like this. 
the one of his heads is is thinking, no, oh, no, you know, I said that, but I'm going to say something more about this form. He may wonder, do I do I understand? I've just said what he looks like. What kind of glorification is that? Just to say what you look like. But the implication of all this, then he wants to bring that out in the second verse. So he says, Asyapi Deva Vapuso Maranugrahasya Svetcha Mayasya Natu Bhutta Mayasya Kopi Neshe Mohitva Vastitum Manasantarena Sakshadtavaiva Kim Utat Masukhanu Bhutte My dear Lord, Deva, Neither I nor anyone else can estimate the potency of this transcendental body of yours, which has shown such mercy to me and which appears just to fulfill the desires of your devotees. Although my mind is completely withdrawn from material affairs, I cannot understand your personal form. How then could I possibly understand the happiness you experience within yourself? So, Again, he wants to say, I've described your form, but people may misunderstand, or don't misunderstand, I understand that there's something very extraordinary about it, even though you appear very ordinary. This is a super transcendental form. He says, Asyatpideva. Uh, so, oh my Lord, uh, even though Kopi Neshe Mahi Vastitum, Abhavastitum, Manasantarena, Ko means Brahma, so Ka. I'm Lord Brahma, and you know that means a lot. I'm the chief demigod, the demigod behind the creation. I know everything in the creation. And in spite of that, I'm coming before you here, and, and, and also I'm, I'm a controlled person, very controlled. I have control of my mind, I can meditate. I could say it. he sat for 10,000 years, this Brahma, in meditation, uh, maybe even underwater. That's pretty good. Control. <laughs> Meditating on two syllables, tapa, tapa, tapa. So he did great austerity. He got a lot of knowledge from that. And um, so he's mentioning here, this is, this is I'm known for this. I'm, I'm very good at meditation and controlling my mind and all. But he says, this form that you're appearing in, I cannot really understand it. It's beyond my capacity to understand its power, potency, its significance. It's super extraordinary. He says three things here. He says, Maranugrahasya and Svetchamayasya and Bhutamayasya. This way he's describing the Lord's form. He says, Just see, this is my position. Actually, I'm an offender. I can meditate. I have control of my senses. But I've offended you. Even if I hadn't offended you in controlling my senses, I still would. That does not enable me to have the vision of you standing in front of me like this. He's saying, Dhyan, meditation, which is thought to be it's overtly spiritual, whereas devotional life is not always so. Devotees may be engaged in so many activities that ordinary fruitive workers are engaged in, like publishing books and driving cars. So, but someone is just sitting and meditating, doing yoga, and they're overtly spiritual. 
Therefore, it said about Vaishnavas, Vaishnava Rekuyamudu Bignenavu Jai. Difficult to understand the Vaishnava. After all, the point is what Krishna is an enjoyer. Krishna is a sense enjoyer. So, the devotees have to be engaged in sense gratification of Krishna. <laughs> and the activities of sense gratification are activities of sense gratification. So, they're doing all these things. It's the sanat sannyas, the renunciation. The Vaishnavas is a bit of a farce in a sense because they actually become family people. They become members of the family of Radha and Govinda, and they are very busy maintaining the divine couple, serving them, attending to them, and they have so many desires. Sometimes it's said that Prabhupada used to say that the deity comes in a form that we can handle. And I like to say that he also doesn't speak very often, and that's his mercy because. If he spoke to us, we would be so busy, more busy than we are prepared to be, more engaged than we are prepared to be at this time. So when we are prepared to be that engaged, then he'll speak to us. Bring me this, bring me that, like he told Sanatana. Don't you at least have some salt you can give me? When he was offering unleavened bread, when Sanatana, this is real devotion, he said, look, first you have the salt, I know you, then it'll be subjis you want and puris and halava and so forth. I'm a poor sadhu living here. You have to accept, if you're going to stay with me, you have to accept what I have. So the activities of the, the Vaishnavas, they're difficult to understand. They're not necessarily overtly spiritual. Brahma had a position that was overtly spiritual, sitting, meditating for thousands of years and so forth. But for the Lord to appear within, even, in devotional meditation is not as extraordinary. With all the senses controlled, fully, all attention focused within, the Lord can appear in the heart. Hmm. Will appear in the heart, no doubt. But that is not as significant, as extraordinary, as esoteric, as high, as divine of a dispensation, as if the Lord appears personally outside in front of you. Then you really wonder, where am I? Krishna's here personally. You hear stories like this from the, in, the, in Mahabharata's Leela and the lives of the Goswamis and so forth. So Brahma's getting this opportunity and Krishna's standing before him in the midst of his Braja Leela. And he says that, first he says, Maranugaha, you are extremely merciful to me. One thing he means by this is that only by mercy is it possible to have this position. One who arrives there knows it's not anything I did. I made effort, but it doesn't balance out with the, with the result that I'm getting. Therefore, my conclusion is it's just it's, it's mercy only. I've given an example before. If we've fallen in an in, in a old abandoned well in a forest, how will we get out in a deep hole? Someone have to come and throw us a rope. And to grab on, no doubt, and to make an effort. But when he pulls us to the top, we won't say, boy, I, I sure held on good, didn't I? No, we'll say, oh, you helped me, you saved me, you pulled me out. So this is the experience with advancement. We, as we progress, we feel it's happening by grace, by mercy, even though we're giving all effort. A little bit of progress is so encouraging we feel so undeserving when that reciprocation comes. We think it's nothing I could have done, really. That we then we don't live our life at the same time, just waiting for mercy. We make the effort, 
and it does come, right? <laughs> yes. So he says, he says, this is the first and foremost thing. It's possible to see this form of yours as I'm seeing you by your mercy. And just see, I'm seeing it in spite of making offense. So in this form, as Sri Krishna in particular, you're especially mercy, merciful, like he was merciful to Putana. Therefore the learned uh, Uddhava made the statement, uh, who would in the right mind take shelter of anybody else? When Krishna gave eternal motherhood to Putana, even though she came with the desire to poison him with her breast milk, can I find a more merciful form of the Lord? So Brahma is saying the same thing. It's possible for me to see you, first of all, by your mercy. And by mercy alone, this is what the devotees live for, for the Lord's mercy. They, more or less their effort is to position themselves in such a way to attract the Lord's mercy. That's all. And then he says another nice thing. He says, Svecha Mayasya. He said that this form of yours is something that appears in relation to the desire of your devotees. So it has no mundane origin. The devotees' hearts are pure and they have a particular desire to see a form of the Lord, to serve a form of the Lord, a particular uh, sense of love and relationship awakens in their heart and the Lord appears accordingly. This is the ingress of the Lord's Surup Shakti into the heart of the devotee. And then he makes his seat there. So, it's not, he wants to say, by any any material um, force or influence that you can appear, only by the love of your devotees, and you're disposed towards this love of your devotees, so you reciprocate accordingly. This also tells us how the uh, the, the Lord and the devotees, in a sense, are one. So here in the beginning of the verse, he's also emphasizing the importance of the devotees. And as we'll see at the end, he's also going to emphasize the importance of the devotees, the coward boys in particular, who he's also made some offense to here. <laughs> he may be thinking with one of his heads. He wants to cover himself as far as he can. So, Madanugrahasya, Svecha Mayasya, and Natu Bhuta Mayasya. Not to Bhuta Mayasya means that your body is not made of any of the material elements. And I know all about the material elements. You taught me about those. You gave me a mantra by which, at the dawn of creation, by which I could adjust those material elements in such a way as to make every creation in the world that there is. All these different forms are, I'm behind them. And the, this form is a completely different affair. Form of the Lord is a manifestation of the Sandini Shakti. And all the material forms, they're made of those eight, el- eight elements. Brahman knows very well everything, how to manipulate all the eight elements to bring out all possible effects. So he's, this is a learned statement on his part. This is not a, just an ordinary person making this statement. This person knows every atom almost of creation. He's behind the whole thing. He says, this, you're not to be found within this creation. You're completely transcendental to it. And this is amazing because you're standing here just like one of us. Just like you're seeing some movie, some guy's God or something like that. You know, but it's just like that. And he is. And he 
course, they don't. They're never as charming as Krishna, and there's not any Vedanta to to support their those uh, ideas. So, so this uh, these three uh, additives he uses here, hmm? in ways uh, to to describe this this form, and then he says again uh, that so I can't understand it. I can understand it because of your mercy. It's like this. You appear in this form in reciprocation to the hearts of your devotees. That means under the influence of your own surup shakti you, you manifest, not under the maya shakti, and you have nothing to do with the material elements, even though you come within the material world. And even if you have complete control of your mind and you're very intelligent, this is not a qualification for having the experience that I'm having right now. Sakshatavaivakyam utatma sukhanubhute and that experience is that you're directly appearing before me, and what to speak then of not being able to understand you and this form, the significance of it, even in spite of what I'm saying, which is significant. It's nothing. I'm not saying enough, he's saying. What to speak then can I understand about your Sukhanubhuta, it means this, the pleasure that you experience within. This is then mention of his relationship with the cowherds. How I violated us. You were having a picnic, a special day. You made this a special day and left early in the morning. You got up with a special desire to go out. You called the other boys early. You had a picnic lunch and this... And took all the boys and, and calves out, and and here I've come and interfered with this whole thing. Not only on an ordinary day, and as if there would be an ordinary day in your cowherding leela, no, but a special day even within that. On the birthday of your brother, I, I, I did this. So I can't understand your form. What to speak then of understanding what that relationship with those cowherds was all about and I stepped in there with my shoes on and I interfered and I'm hoping with all my heart and thinking with every one of my head as far as I can and, and how to say something that will pacify you. He's, in, he's in thinking of what Krishna might be thinking. During this whole time, Krishna is silent. So many prayers, 50, 60 prayers, whatever it is. It's a rather long, long chapter. And Krishna is completely silent the whole time. Nectar, uh, Bhakti Rastamrita Sindhu and Prabhupada's Nectar Devotion gives this an example, this Leela is an example of Krishna's gravity. You can imagine Brahma's getting more and more nervous almost as he goes on and Krishna's just absolutely silent. There he was, a four-headed person in the midst of this Narlila creating a disturbance. So this way he's trying to make up for it. I'm offering prayers in glorification of Krishna's form, not only describing what it is, but now trying to explain something about the significance of it, even though it appears ordinary. In another place, he, he he's also described this form where he says, Angyani asya sakalendri vritti manti pashanti panti kalayanti chiram draganti. You may know this from Brahma Samhita. He says, your, your form, although it appears just like an ordinary form, it, with one of your organs you can do, or senses you can do what you would do with any other sense. It's ex- the extraordinary thing about you is that 
you think with your mind, but for the most part you see with your eyes, and you hear with your ears. This is this is the extraordinary thing. I mean, if you had, if you could see with your ears, you'd probably be trying it out, <laughs> and so forth. <laughs> and uh, people would see that you were wow, you're really ex- extraordinary. But the extraordinary thing is, you, although you had that capacity, such as the nature of your form, it's not like any material form. All your senses are interchangeable. Still, you think with your mind, and you see with your eyes, and you tend to hear with your ears. Every now and then, maybe some little. If necessary, if some demon comes or something like that, then, then you, you should, but that's a lesser thing, actually. The wonderful thing, the extraordinary thing, is that you act just, just like, just like a coward boy, just like those other boys. And they're acting just like ordinary coward boys, and their position in relation to you is something I can hardly fathom. I'm aspiring for that. This is Brahma's idea. So Brahma is speaking these prayers about this kind of relationship between Krishna and his friends. We should think how such a high thing is. We should know a little bit about this, but don't think you're going to wake up there tomorrow. And it shouldn't be discouraged. we shouldn't be discouraged to hear such a thing. We should be happy to know we're involved in this. And you may not in this life be able to sit down and do bhajan. It's not a loss. You gave your effort. You did everything. You didn't make offense. You apply yourself. That's a glorious thing. Know your position and apply yourself appropriately and get some solace from that, some happiness from that. Bhaktisiddhanta used to, Saraswati Thakur used to say, don't try to be a great devotee, try to be a good devotee. Too much trying to be a great devotee. You see, this is Brahma speaking here. This is how he's looking at these pastimes. He can't understand them. He's not just an intellectual person. He's going to put down the intelligence and limitations of that in, in this chapter and so forth. But he's a great devotee. Yes, we can look at him and say, well, he's an example of a common Mishra devotee. Yeah, and that's true. But <laughs> we, we are practicing pure devotion. But what is our position? I'm fortunate to be involved. So, any question? Yes. I have a question from this morning. Um, I didn't understand when uh, Bhaktisiddhanta explained why Raghava Pandit wasn't a crazy man. I couldn't. I didn't understand why, what his point was. Well, basically, he was saying that someone might think this is a little extreme. Mm. I mean, he's okay. He's he's got hundreds and thousands of coconut trees outside his door, but he's going a long distance to get other coconuts, and while the coconuts are practically for nothing next door, he's paying a high price for the other ones because they're sweeter. Okay, all right, that's a little eccentric, but um, not only that, he's bringing the coconuts back and preparing them in a special way and so forth, and and in one instance, we find that the person bringing the coconuts, holding them, reached up and like put his hand on the top of the door. Then he wouldn't offer those coconuts because he thought, people are always walking through that door with their feet and then dust is going up to the top and you touch them. So by just an external analysis, Bhaktisanta wants to protect us from thinking, this guy's a little eccentric. He's got, sounds like he's got... And this would be your Western, you know, mind coming on full force. Sounds like the guy's got a problem. Uh, a little bit of a you know, 
cleansing phobia or something, uh, um, paranoid or, or something. I wouldn't want to be like that, and so forth. So Bhaktisant Sarsitaka wanted to tell us two things. He said, don't think like that. Those coconuts were being drunk. Some, he was finding them empty. Krishna was drinking those coconuts. Hmm? He was a very extraordinary devotee. And, um, and these were just way, this was just a way in which his devotion to the deity was manifesting. So don't guard yourself from thinking like that, that he was just some kind of crazy person with a cleansing phobia, number one. And number two, don't think that just by doing these types of things that it suddenly you've become a Raghava Pandit and that you'll get the kind of reciprocation that he got. He's doing it as an expression of the devotion that came. Just by imitating that and keeping everything... Not that you shouldn't keep things clean, and it's an inspiring story, and we, we, we get the idea that we should try to offer the best to Krishna and go the extra mile and, and so on and so forth. But just by imitating his activity doesn't mean you've gone there either. So in two ways he wants to say, this is a very extraordinary thing, and we should think of it like that. Raghavapant was, was famous like this, and, and for what he cooked also. Mahabharu kept, when Mahabharu was in Puri, then the devotees would come and give offerings to him. Or Govinda would take them. There were so many of them that Mahabharu couldn't eat them, so he kept them in a storehouse, packaged them. You know, they, they, they brought packaged things that would last for a little while. He kept them, for, and, and this, this storehouse was just building up and building up and building up. Devotees were constantly inviting him for lunch, and so he always had an invitation, and people bringing something from a distance, gifts and so forth, food stuff. So he had a storehouse full of food, and it became a problem for Gubinda. So he, one time he confided in the Lord, you know, there's a lot of offerings. It was like, i got a whole you know, garage full of them here, and I don't know what to do. It's, it's like a problem. It's getting filled up. And Mahaprabhu said, no, it's not a problem. And then he ate everything, everything. And there was a bag of goods brought by Raghava Pandit, I think maybe Damayanti helped him to prepare special condiments, pickles and things like that, and, and, uh, and so forth. And Mahaprabhu kept that bag separately for one year. And after every meal, he would, he would take the, 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 from Raghava's bag. So something about his cooking and an offering that was very attractive to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, very special devotee. Mahaprabhu is one of the one of the ones he singled out on this occasion after the Rathyatra. Anything else? Yes. You said that Krishna's body is composed of sand in Shakti, right? Did you say that? Mm-hmm. Well, it's the the forms in Goloka are all manifestations of the Sandini Shakti. Mm. But it doesn't mean that Krishna only has Sandini Shakti. Mm. He's the reservoir of all Shakti. So the Dham is the Sandini Shakti, the bodies, and all that. This is all the work of, of, of uh, Baladev. He presides over the Sandini Shakti. So he manages, just like. And then the expansion from him, Ulsankarshan, and the Vishnus is expanding the material world through them. And personally, he's expanding the whole spiritual world. 
Therefore, it said, on the plane of Sudha, of, of Sudha Sattva, Sudha Sattva means Sandini Shakti, on this plane, when, when there's a proper combination of Sandini and Ladini, and Bhakti has really manifest in the devotee's heart. What else? Does Radha preside over Ladini? Radha presides over Ladini, and Vasudev Krishna presides over Samvit. Balev over Sandini. At the same time, Radha is also the source of the all Shakti, so she's really the the um, the Adi Shakti, if you will. What else? You said uh, the night before last something about how um, Mahaprabhu is like the positive and negative side of the divine. I was wondering if you could elaborate on that. I don't remember saying that. It's a combination of the positive and negative aspects. So Krishna is asserting and Radha's going in the opposite direction. Serving Krishna is overtly the enjoyer and Radharani is overtly the servantor. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Radha and Krishna combined. Rasaraj Mahabhavdu Ekarup. But the the Mahabhav is Krishna's Rasaraj. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna with the influence of Mahabhav. So if you separate out the Mahabhav from Mahaprabhu, then really you have Krishna left. Therefore that side is emphasized by the devotees. This is what's making him Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is the glory of Krishna, glory of Radha. Just see, Krishna is chasing after her love, taking on that sentiment, taking on her complexion, trying to taste her love. So we were making the point that to separate him out in the name of enjoying Chaitanya Mahaprabhu independently of that as, 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 as Rasaraj, to take away the Mahabhava, you really don't have much of the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu left. That's what it's all about. That's what the Goswamis have come to tell us about. So some you know, upstart people in Bengal who... who felt that the Goswamis didn't glorify Chaitanya Mahaprabhu enough. He's our God. They took him out of Bengal and Sanskritized him and, and so forth and said all these things about him, but he's really ours. And and, uh, and then they've gone you know, over the top and some people have philosophized themselves out of, practically out of Gopi Vaishnavism in the name of making Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, as one fellow said, more than just a footnote to Krishna Leela. The Goswamis have made Chaitanya Mahaprabhu just a footnote to Krishna Leela. But do you think that the Guru is just a footnote to Krishna Leela? This is the Charya Leela of God. First the giver, then the gift. Always first our regard will go to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So is he just, is he, is that all he is? The giver of the gift? That's all you're going to say? Well, wait a minute, what are you saying? What could be more? What, what could be more than, than, than if anything, the giver is, is, will be regarded more than, than the gift? Mahaprabhu is, is, is like, um, like the guru in, in, in the Leela. This is the idea. So how, is, the, is the guru just a footnote to Krishna Leela? No, we are eternally associated with the guru. And 
he's never not dis- dismissed at some point like the like in my philosophy. And I have a book of this fellow manuscript of this fellow who's propagating this kind of thing. Gornagarbhav, in one place he says, whole chapter, that the, the Manjaris, they taste the Bhav of Radha by identifying with the Bhav of Radha and serving her. They never want to personally associate with Krishna. They always want to serve Radha. And of course the reason for that is because they're getting more out of that than by personally associating in romantic love with Krishna. They're getting everything that Radha's getting, which no one can compete with. So they have no interest to directly associate with Krishna in that way. If he approaches them, test them, they'll always push him off and serve their mistress. And by that attachment to Radha and service, they're experiencing everything that, that Radha experiences that can't be experienced by directly having that sambog, it's called my direct uh, relationship with union with Krishna. Now, this is another reason why we kind of stress separation. It's also a kind of a, you know, kind of a separation in, in, in a sense, this, this spirit. So, this Bulagornagar advocate fellow, he, he, he says, so are we to spend eternity, think about it, never directly having a romantic relationship with Krishna? No, the answer is you can have it with Gore. He's Rasaraj himself, and he makes this available. And, and, and how would you be fulfilled without this? Think about it in eternity. You could never have directly that loving relationship as a, in romantic love. And I'm thinking, wow, this is, how could he make such a obvious, like, mundane, you know, statement? It's it's like the trick of Maya. He's got to putting all these things together and it's sounding if you don't know where the texts are coming from. And some of the texts, you look them up, they're not there. They've got some other manuscript that they happen to be in that makes it Vaita, Anagar, Anagari, and you know, Nityananda Prabhu, and everybody. And this is the secret thing. This is the secret of the secret of the secrets. And this is where you can directly enjoy Krishna, personally, as, as, as like, like the gopis do. But the whole idea of the mind, he knows this, so it's, uh, how he could... Write a chapter like that is, is to me, is, is you know, an in, instance of what do they call Maya Pitagyan or something? He knows, but Maya's stolen his intelligence. Anyway, it's a, that's a whole other topic. I think we should maybe write something about that at some point, some, some booklet. So don't try to separate Radha out from, from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. What else? Yes. When you read <clears throat> the Chaitanya Bhagavat, there doesn't seem to be much about Mahabhav. Mahabhav Mahabhav. Mm-hmm. And not even as much, that much about him as, as Rasaraj. More like like Gaur, Gaur Narayan and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. Vrindavan Das's emphasis is different than Krishna's Gaviraj Goswami, and and uh, there you have the whole Sikh Goswami's conception of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which has got really the final the final word on it. 
So Vrindavanas is is in a, in a whole different space, and he's a sakara, and um, still it's it's not absent there. It's not absent there, but he emphasizes that way. And he's is yesterday with his Nityananda Prabhu in particular, and you know he's given a more general description of the Lord. And so he left some service for Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami to give. And see how Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami defers to him and respects him. As, uh, so to, to, to dismiss the book or anything like that, which is not what you're saying, obviously, but to think mm-hmm. it's certainly not the way Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami thought about it. He considered him a senior, and, and he was only writing to fill in where, where he had uh, left some service to be done. He had it as a, to his advantage the other biographies that had been written, the other accounts and so forth, and notes of of, of Das and Sukhdamadar and the blessings of the Goswamis and Vrindavan and all of their realization, writings and so forth that had been left. So he gave the final word on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. There are many things to be said, many aspects. He's like a valuable jewels, many facets and and devotees that will be attracted to different aspects of him. Bhaktisiddhanta liked to emphasize Chaitanya Bhagavad because of its emphasis on Yuga Dharma and, and the general godhood of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He should be worshipped as God. He should be he should be worshipped with some some reverence and Dasya Bhakti and and so you can do like Vaidhi Bhakti to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and get Rag Bhakti to Radha something like that. And you pass, pass through that. He saw as Bhakti noted worship of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Vishnu Priya. This is with some on oh, reverence and they're, they're acknowledging their godhood and so forth. And the Gaur and Garadhar, that is the Rag idea. Alright, we we'll stop there. Gantaraj Simad Bhagatam Kidai. Go with Premanandi.